0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clear Out Podcast with your host, Matt Brooks. We are brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts, and today, yes, I'm going solo. Uh, If you can't already tell from the description, I'm going to be recapping my notes, I guess, from Tuesday's game against the Phoenix Suns, recording this on Wednesday night before the Kings game against the Nets. Uh, so I will not be referencing that as I obviously have not watched that game. Um, and I know many of you will be listening to this on Thursday. So yeah, sorry. I'm not going to mention a game that I'm thinking the Nets will win. I mean, it'd be weird if they didn't, but I think they're going to get that one. So no mention of that. We're talking about a game that for me, I know some people will quibble with this. Um, I think tactically that was the most interesting Nets game that I've watched since maybe, December of 2021 against the Clippers, the game that the Nets won. Uh, this game, I thought, was just, there was a lot to pick from here and a lot of things that interested me in the moment and were even more interesting going back and re-watching it, which is what I did with my time today. So um, let's do this. First off, let me start here. I will not be commenting on the refs. Uh <laughs> I th- for for those of you that have followed me for a while on social media, or even not that long, even just the last year, uh, you'll know that's not my thing. I don't comment on the refs. I never have. Um, I get it. It's a thing that happens. Um, it can be frustrating. But for me, there's so much beauty in basketball that getting bogged down by something that's frankly out of all of our control is just not worth my time. I, I'm sorry. I don't get upset about the refs. I get it. It it can it can swing certain moments in games, but I if for for somebody that likes scheme and tactics, it's just I can't sit down and and get riled up about this stuff. Part of that is also that I'm not like a fan of any team, so there's no skin in the game for me, I guess. Especially with like watching the Nets, I just I really guys, I'm sorry, I really don't care if they win or lose. <laughs> uh, I like breaking down their wins and their losses, but I it, it, emotionally it really doesn't uh, resonate with me. So we'll start there. No commenting on the reps. None of that. Instead, what I want to say is that I thought this game was fascinating because both of these teams worked hard to exploit their pain points, if I can use a sales term a little bit. Um, That's right. I'm tapping into my sales background. So their pain points, their, their points of emphasis where, hey, maybe this is where, you know, the Suns struggle, or maybe this is where the Nets struggle, um, and I thought really early, we'll start with what the Suns did to the Nets, um, you know, I, I thought they they just, like, for one, really early, you could see they were, they were really preying on the Nets' tendency to overhelp, um, and what I mean by that is, like, guys rotating down to either double-team or rotating down to the corner when it isn't their rotation. And then and the Suns, I mean, they're just such a well-oiled machine that the second you make that type of a mistake, all of the sudden they're going to hit that extra pass. And and that's an A, I mean, for one, the Suns, I, I wrote about it in, in an article this week for Basketball News, um, which was all about the Suns. Um, they are always stocked with shooters. It's not like the Nets where there's one or like two or three non-shooters on the court at a time. No, no, no. Like the Suns are going to play Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Uh, Have I mentioned Cam Johnson, McCall Bridges? Like that's just, how many players is that? Five players I've mentioned that can shoot. Landry Shamit commands respect from the corners. I know he didn't play yesterday, Uh, but you know, like they just have guys that can shoot and what they did was spread the nets out and prey on those tendencies. <clears throat> excuse me, to overhelp. So, um, good example. There's a play where they got into some drive and kick. The Suns did found Jay Crowder in the corner, right? Uh, Jay Crowder drives and Harden, James Harden, kind of digs down like he's trying to, you know, I guess dislodge the ball from Crowder. Unfortunately, he digs down on the same side of the court as McCall Bridges who's sitting at the wing. So Crowder's driving from the corner. I'm sure some of you remember this play. Uh Bridges is at the wing and because, you know, Harden essentially gambles, it's an easy kick to three. Another good one. Um the 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 Suns a little bit later. I think maybe this is either in the second quarter, maybe maybe the first quarter, definitely the second quarter. Um They went to this set called Blind Pig, which is basically just like a give-and-go set where a a guy holds the ball at the elbow and hands it off to another guy, cutting basically into the paint. So it's kind of like giving this guy a runway. Um, And they ran this on the right side of the floor. Kyrie Irving, who I actually think has been really solid since returning um, defensively. He wasn't great in the game against Indiana, like his debut but again, it was his first game back. So I think he's been really solid. But he makes this mistake here where the Suns are running blind pig. I'm forgetting who's handling the ball. Could have been Alfred Payton, maybe. Um, handling the ball, dribbling down the basically the right free throw line. And Kyrie helps off the corner. He helps off the strong side corner, which is a big no-no. Um, kick to three. Cam Johnson in the corner. I think Cam Johnson misses the three. But it's like they were so sharp in terms of we are going to find the exploits against this team and take advantage of all the little areas that the Nets have slipped really since December with overhelping, with slips to the rim, which I'm about to talk about in a second. Um, just generally trying to take advantage of this team. And and I think a big part of why the Nets overhelp so much is is because they're always switching. You always kind of have to be on your toes in terms of, wait, who am I picking up here? Oh, is this my assignment now? Because we're swapping on the go. Um, the Suns really took advantage of that. They they said, this team is switching a lot, and that's great. And the entire idea of the Nets scheme is to keep the ball in front and just not allow dribble penetration. But we believe that we can scramble them for, for doing that, scramble the Nets for doing that. So that's another good example. Uh, there was another play. It was like the, literally on the tip off, the opening tip off where, uh, I think it was Devin Booker who, by the way, like is such a good screener. I mean, he's just, he's like the most awesome superstar superstar in in the sense that he's, I think the word for it is like portable. I think that's the word that the smart people on, (laughs) on draft Twitter are using these days. Uh, but but Booker is really portable in that he's a superstar that can fit on like every single team. I could be using that term wrong, but let's say I am for a second. Um, he is somebody that because he's so good off ball, because he's good at creating for himself, because he's a good pick and roll player, especially after playing in Phoenix now where you give him a screen, he's going to get to where he wants to go. Um, he's a great screener. He just does a little bit of everything. His defense has improved. I mean I'm just I'm I'm a huge Devin Booker fan. <laughs> I've become a huge fan of him over the last 2 years. Um Booker sets this screen literally right out of the tip-off. He sets a back screen I think for Nicholas Claxton or on Nicholas Claxton that allows Claxton's man Deandre Ayton to run to the rim, to dive to the rim. And because he sets that screen, Devin, Devin Booker does um Kessler Edwards is forced to pick up Nicholas Claxton. And then and then you you kind of see you kind of see that the Nets are in a scramble mode at that point. Then Booker's kind of left alone. Harden picks him up, and Claxon just kind of sit there. It looks almost like musical chairs, where the guy who finishes last kind of realizes, oh wait, there's no other chairs. I don't really know where I'm supposed to go. And that's what Klaxon does to a degree. And this is, again, literally out of the tip-off. I don't know how rare it is to see teams run like a set out of a tip-off. Usually you just kind of like set your offense up and then get into your first uh, drawn up play, which the coach has done on the sideline. But they made this like part of the action. They made the, uh, the tip off part of their play. Of never, it's just uncommon, I think. Um, so Claxton's now not sure where to go. The ball finds Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder takes the first three of the game, goes through and Claxton, you know, as the ball gets into Crowder's hands, you can kind of see him go, ah, that's where I'm supposed to go. So again, it's just little things scrambling the nets, making them botch their switches off ball, um, and I think we have to talk about the slips to the rim. Um, you know, for for those of you that have been following um, you know online basketball discourse and, on, and analysis, I'm sure you know like somebody like Nikias Duncan, who actually I work with at, at Basketball News. Um, he's somebody that's that's echoed this a lot. Or actually, really champion this phrase quite a bit, uh, that the best way to beat a switching defense is with slips to the rim. And the Suns emblematized that. They were slipping everything initially in the first half with their bigs. DeAndre Ayton was slipping, JaVale McGee was slipping. Um and, you know, there there was a play in the first half where JaVale McGee slipped, um, I think it was in a pick and roll, probably with Chris Paul, I think it was with Chris Paul, uh, JaVale McGee slipped his screen, rolled into empty space, Patty Mills helps over, he actually does a really nice job helping and bothering JaVale McGee on the catch, JaVale catches, he's in the short roll now, and then he makes the pass to the corner, which is where James Harden should have been. Instead, James Harden's co- you know kind of hugging the guy at the wing. He should have been down in the corner. So even on those little things, even if the Nets rotated correctly, the Suns were always ready. They knew, hey, this team, and I've actually said this on this podcast a lot, they might nail initial rotations rotating in front of the basket like Patty Mills did in this play that I described. But those secondary rotations, we know they're not always going to make them, especially if they involve somebody like, I'm sorry, but like James Harden, uh, we feel really good about getting what we want out of that. And that was a big point of emphasis for the Suns in the first half. Second half, the Nets adjusted, right? They said, okay, you know what? You're going to slip all your screens. Great. When you guys try to slip, uh, especially Blake Griffin, who I thought was good. It was pretty good at in terms of guarding pick and roll men. We'll talk about the rest of his pick and roll defense. Uh, but in terms of guarding pick and roll rollers, he did a great job. He When he, saw, he felt like a guy was going to slip he grabbed onto that guy for dear life and he said, you're not slipping. You're not going anywhere. Um, so, right? So the, the nets have adjusted. They're saying, great. We know you're going to slip all your screens with your big men. We're not allowing that to happen. So, so the Suns instead go with, hey, okay, great. So you're you're ready for our, our big men to slip screens. What if we start using McCall Bridges as a screener, as a slipper? Are you going to be able to handle that? The answer was a firm no. The Nets had no idea how to switch these guard-guard screens. And Bridges got multiple layups or at least layup opportunities just by just by slipping out of his screens and catching the Nets off guard. I mean, in, in, in the film that I've watched of, of Phoenix, that's a pretty new wrinkle to have Bridges slip screens. And these are the things that they're going to pull out. Wait till they start using Cam Johnson as a slipper or, or you know, Crowder, who I, I think has got some experience doing that in Miami. Um, they just have so many ways to go at you. And the big thing about, you know, somebody like Bridges or Crowder or Cam Johnson is that they all have decent enough size as rollers. It's not like a Bruce Brown that's rolling where it's like, oh boy, he better get to his floater. Like those guys all have pretty pretty good size. They're big wings. Um maybe not huge LeBron like wings, but they're really big wings and that's a huge advantage for them. They can start using those things. So, they use Bridges as a as a guy that's slipping screens. And they weren't doing it initially. Like it wasn't like they'd bring the ball down, you know, Bridges would come up, set a set a screen slip. No, like they'd run a bunch of action And then at the very end of the shot clock, they'd have Bridges slip. And it was like all of that stuff that they ran before was just a decoy. It was just to get the Nets thinking, oh, well, it looks like they're going to run, you know, whatever, double pick and roll with Chris Paul. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. The entire set was just to get Bridges going to the rim off a slip. I mean, it was just, it was for someone that likes, clearly likes this stuff. uh, I've done 15 minutes just like reading through (laughs) a scouting report. Um, As somebody who loves this stuff, though, it was amazing to watch. Uh, Another thing the Suns did, another thing, they really, really preyed on the Nets in transition. This happened the entire game, the entire freaking game. And the Nets have this bad tendency of not calling up matchups in transition, not figuring out hey, are you guarding the corner? Great, is the middle covered? Okay, great, now let's make sure we all have our assignments. They don't, It just, that stuff just doesn't happen. And I hate to say it, one of the main culprits to that is James Harden, who I, I don't want to, I don't want to make this entire podcast me killing him defensively, but it was bad. It was bad against the Suns. It was bad. And it's been bad this year. I think I said on this podcast that this feels like his worst defensive season to date. You know, I don't think this was his worst game defensively. Like, there weren't the number of blow that we've seen in certain games. Granted, the Suns aren't really a blow-by team unless they have campaign out there. But I felt like just in terms of how much that the Suns were running their transition with the explicit goal, the explicit goal to get Harden involved, was rough. And it's smart, by the way, because Harden, I think more than anybody on this Nets team, Kyrie can do it a little bit. Um, I'm sure there's other people that, that will do this too. Um, I'm sure Blake has done this a little bit here and there too. Ky- but Harden of, of anybody, more than anybody, when he runs back in transition, he doesn't really pick up a man. He just sort of stands in the middle of the paint and just remains, just remains standing there and doesn't pick up anybody he's just sort of like stationary there i don't know if it's to rest i don't know if it's like he doesn't know where he's supposed to go or or whatever or he doesn't care to go to wherever he's supposed to go but um the sun's really preyed on that another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE. All right, I, I have one play I want to detail. Actually, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to do a video on, on this game, uh, which I get the feeling nobody's going to want to watch, but that's all right. I just want to sort of make it for me. So maybe I'll save this play, but... Um, I actually let me let me read through it really quick. So the Suns run a pin down screen. JaVale sets a pin down screen for Devin Booker. And in the net size it looks like, oh, okay, so they're gonna try to give Devin Booker a screen so he can cut to the top of the three, you know, for I guess a catch and shoot while Chris Paul's handling. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna switch. Great, we took that away. Okay, so what does that mean? So we, we've switched on this this uh this pin down play now we have De- uh, Blake Griffin on Devin Booker and Bruce Brown on JaVale. Now, normally, with how the run, with how the Nets would run things, they would say, oh, we have Blake Griffin on Devin Booker. Great, let's just give Booker the ball and we're going to let him ice So That's not what the Suns do. No, Devin Booker goes to the corner and clears out of the way. Because the Suns then go to a pick and roll with Chris Paul, JaVale McGee, And by circumstance, Bruce Brown and Patty Mills. They now have two smaller players guarding a normal pick and roll because they ran this pin down initially. Then the Nets switch again, putting Patty Mills on JaVale. So they run a pick and roll the Nets switch. All of a sudden, Patty Mills is trying to keep up with the rolling JaVale McGee. And James Johnson, who's in the weak side corner, meaning that he's tasked with rotating over to stop the ball, he says, Oh shit. We have <laughs> Patty Mills, six foot maybe Patty Mills, guarding Javale McGee, rolling to the rim. Let me go rotate over to stop that. Let me let me tag that. Let me let me stop ball there. Ball skips to the corner, open three. Because James Johnson is forced to help over. Meanwhile, I think it's Devin Booker at the wing. He rises up a little bit. So he, he makes it a really hard rotation from whoever's at the wing to rotate down to the corner. Open three for Phoenix. And it's just one of those plays where it's like this team is so good and so tactical where they had numerous opportunities to take a good shot and they picked a great one. They had an opportunity to give Booker a catch off the pin down. They had an opportunity to have Booker isolate against Blake Griffin, but instead they went with the completely wide open corner three because they had this pick and roll that put two smaller players from Brooklyn in the action. It's just like, they're just so good, man. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll end with my Phoenix stuff here um, because I think the way they closed the game out was fascinating. I mentioned Blake Griffin. I said he did pretty well at, at hanging on to rollers as they sort of bulldozed to the rim, you know, After at once the net's adjusted to all those slips. Fourth quarter, well, the Suns continue to put Blake Griffin in pick and roll. And they killed Blake Griffin. There was a couple plays, it wasn't a ton, it wasn't like the, you know, the first Phoenix game where the Suns went at LaMarcus Aldridge over and over and over and over, but it was enough. They, they went at him a couple times, you know, and and got some good shots out of it. Um, I think Devin Booker and Chris Paul got one each where Blake Griffin gets put in pick and roll. He's dropped back a little bit, forces the switch. Um, and he just doesn't have the wingspan or the verticality to contest at all. I mean, his contest and the clip I'm thinking of where he contests a Devin Booker mid range shot, like his hand, it like flaps in the air, but it's nowhere close to Booker's release point. And you can tell it just doesn't bother Booker at all. And they put, so that was their counter to, hey, we're going to use Blake aggressively and we're going to be switching. Great, we're going to take that switch. We're going to close the game out this way. Mind you, they weren't taking that switch early in the game. So it shows you the evolution of these Suns. They'll run different things throughout the game to keep you on your toes. They go for the most obvious low-hanging fruit at at the end of the game with Blake Griffin switched on to one of their stars. In the beginning of the game, they didn't go to that. It's just really interesting, you know, I guess, tactical planning. Um, and then the last thing, uh, they had a couple pick and rolls at the very end, I think really in the final seconds of the game, or final five minutes of the game, I should say. And uh, what they did was they they ran pick and roll, no slip, made full contact on the screens, rolled to the rim. But they once again preyed on a really bad tendency that the Nets have defensively where, you know, the guys that are lo- that are basically located in the weak side corner, they're way out of position for whatever reason. I think Nicholas Claxton had a play like this and Kyrie Irving did as well, um, where instead of being in the paint as, I think it was JaVale McGee was rolling to the rim, instead of being where they should be, they're like basically hu- like hugging, I, I think it was McCall Bridges in the corner. Why? Like, why why, why are you so out of position on these pick and rolls? Why are you guarding the corner like it's the last meal on earth? <laughs> like, I, it's just weird. The Nets have had a lot of moments like this. I think um, Ben Taylor from Thinking Basketball was the first to point this out in terms of how out of position the Nets help defenders tend to be, even before the play happens. And this was a great example of that. The Suns took advantage of that. I just thought it was interesting. And I think video will help explain that last point a little bit better. But just know that the Nets help defense, well, the help defenders um, can be a little out of position. So let's switch to the Nets. Uh, I thought the Nets played really well. I actually thought that was a really encouraging performance in terms of you want to see your two stars look really comfortable together. And they did. Um and I, I thought it was interesting. It sometimes, it sometimes feel like the Nets, well, the Suns at least don't really have two defenders to shut down the Nets backcourt. And I think that's something we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. It's really, really, really rare to have a team with two great point of attack defenders that can shut down a, a top-notch backcourt like this, you know, it's just really rare. I mean, off the top of my head, what's the best option? Miami, I think, might be able to do that. Maybe um, with with Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, I think Toronto probably could. But I, I'm worried Kyrie's a little slippery for all those guys. Um, you know, uh, uh, what's another good one? Oh, Chicago. Chicago, that's a great one, actually, where you have Lonzo and, and Caruso in there. Those guys, I think, could do a pretty good job against Harden and Kyrie, or at least make it a little bit tough. But the Suns, I don't know if they have that all the way. They have Bridges out there. Bridges guard's one of those guys. And then it's like, what's our next best option? Is it really Jay Crowder, who got nailed by some screens and isn't, like, overly fast at recovering back in the play? Probably not. Cam Johnson, I thought had some nice reps against Harden. That might be an option. Booker, I think, could be an option. But, you know, even somebody like CP3 feels a little small, especially when it's, you know, uh, James Harden driving. It's just, they can feel a defender short for the Nets. And I think that's a really promising thing. And that's without mentioning Kevin Durant, who really puts the Nets, or the Suns, in a tough spot. Because I think the Suns, when when KD plays, they're probably going to stick Crowder on Durant and like, do you feel good about that matchup? No. Do you feel even okay about it? No. Are you going to have to do it? Probably. And then from there, you're figuring out, all right, I guess we're going to try Booker on on Harden or, or Kyrie, and then we'll stick Bridges on the other one. I think that's probably what you do. But again, like you don't love those matchups if you're Phoenix. You like them maybe, but you don't love them. And I think that's a big thing for the Nets. The Nets can really prey on that. So I thought that in terms of like a macro sense, this isn't, you know, a tactical thing. This is just like a, how do these two teams match up? Um, I think that's definitely in favor for the Nets. Uh, in terms of tactics, in terms of tactics. So the Suns were icing pick and roll ball screens. What does that mean? Uh, basically what it means is that A, because they have DeAndre Ayton, JaVale McGee, and Bismack Biombo playing, all of whom are drop, drop defenders essentially. I know Ayton can switch around a little bit and you can hedge him here and there, but he, he's, you know, I think most comfortably, especially coming back from injury, uh, going to be playing quite a bit of drop. So because they're playing in drop, they were icing a lot of pick and rolls in that their defenders were forcing, especially James Harden, to the sideline. They were saying, hey, we're going to guard you in a way where my body's angled, where you have nowhere to go toward but toward the sideline. And behind me, I have my big man in drop. A Harden was great at breaking that that, that ice scheme. He was hitting crossovers. Clax's uh, screening I thought was really helpful in this sense. I thought Clax had one of his better screening games I've watched this season. Um, in terms of he just made good contact and was able to really open things up for Harden, especially in that first half. So they went to those things, and Harden was able to break that ice. Defense. He was able to get middle, because that's really what that thing is trying to take away, or, or what ice is trying to take away is, is uh drives to the middle. Um Harden was able to break that. And the other thing you notice, while the Nets are breaking this Sun's Ice scheme and are getting to where they want to go, there's no help defenders in the middle of the paint, sinking into the paint, even when Harden goes middle, which has been a problem a lot of the time this year, because the net spacing looks awesome. It felt like they consistently had one of Kessler Edwards, Patty Mills, or Kyrie Irving, or two of those guys on the weak side, which meant that the Suns really couldn't help over. They had to honor those guys and stick relatively close because otherwise Harden, who's an amazing passer, is going to make the easy kick out to three. And you noticed it the entire game. I think one of the Nets' best actions was Harden screening or getting a screen from Clax. Uh, Klax diving, Harden and driving, and then a skip pass to the corner to Kessler Edwards, who, because he's so tall and long, closeouts don't bother him as much as somebody like Patty Mills. Um, that action was great for the Nets. And that is going to be sitting there for the taking as they get more and more healthy. Because by the way, the two guys coming back, Joe Harris and Kevin Durant, might be your, what, two of three best shooters? I think that's fair to say, KD, Joe Harris, Patty Mills. I think those are your three best shooters. I know Kyrie Irving might have something to say to that, Um, but I, I, that's, that's for me. Those are your two guys that are coming back. You're going to add those guys into what the Nets were already running, where they have Kessler Edwards, Patty Mills, Kyrie Irving. Um, And then you picture, I guess, KD and Joe Harris, all of those guys spacing the floor for James Harden driving. It's going to be perfect. I mean, it's going to be nuts. So I think that was big for the Nets. They really tore up the Suns pick and roll defense. Um, you know, and and that was, I think for me, my biggest takeaway is that they may have what it takes to shut down the Suns. They put the Suns bigs, which I think in my opinion are probably their weakest point Um and, that, and I, I, I don't mean that in, like, they have bad bigs because they don't. Like, their bigs are really, really good um, and really effective offensively and add a lot to what they do, especially for Chris Paul. And defensively, they're good, too. Um, JaVale's obviously got length. Aiton is a, just a good defender. Uh, Biombo's got quick hands. So, you know, those guys all bring certain things. But against this Nets team, they, you know, they got exposed a little bit to a degree. Um. And also just like how good the Nets' screening was, I think also put the Suns in in a predicament here and there. So I thought that was something that stood out to me. Um, other thing I uh, that I noticed, I thought the Nets also did a pretty good job emptying out a side. What does that mean? Okay, well, basically what it means is instead of running pick and roll where you have one player in a corner and then two players on the other side of the floor, you just don't have anybody in that corner. There's nobody there. You're running on an empty side. There's nobody nearby, no nearby help defenders. You're you're just letting uh, your two, well, your ball handler and your screener go two on two. I thought the Nets did a great job of that. They got some pretty good stuff out of that. There was a play in the second quarter where the Nets got an empty side pick and roll because James Johnson had really good recognition and cleared out. He went from the... I think left dunker spot to the right dunker spot when he realized, ooh, wait, James Harden and Nicholas Claxton have this empty side of the floor if I get out of here. And it was just great recognition. I I thought the Nets were really tactical about how they ran pick and roll. They put the, the Suns in a lot of unfortunate situations and that's all they need to do. They don't need to run crazy sets, you know, like the Suns do because running pick and roll with James Harden and good spacing and a good roller is all you could ever need. There are so many different options that you can get out of that, whether it's a step-back three, whether it's James Harden's floater, whether it's a lob to the big, whether it's a a skip pass to the guy in the corner, or whether that skip pass to the corner turns into a pass up to the wing, you know, that, that skips, you know, I guess that, um, that swing swing action. So those are all things that you can get just from running regular pick and roll. And that's all the Suns need, the Nets need, I mean, um... And, and I thought it, it came through. It showed up how deadly this team is and how simple they make it, but also how much that simplicity works to their favor. It just kept the sun scrambling. I felt it a lot of points. And um, that's, I think, my big takeaway is just how good that pick and roll can be. So in terms of what I thought overall, the game was great tactically. It was fun to watch. Um, the Suns showed why they are a top five. I think they're number two in half court offense, top five in transition offense. They showed why they can do that. The Sun, the Nets showed why they are devastating in the half court with spacing. And I would like to see this game again, or this matchup, I should say, but I hope we get this in the playoffs. This would be an awesome finals. I mean, just terrific, like really just would be so good. Um, so I'm hoping we get that. I I think that'd be a fun little thing to sit down and watch. There's so many things that we haven't really even fully thought about. I talked a little bit about the matchups that the Suns would have in terms of dealing with the big three altogether. Um, I'd love to see, you know, just the different variations that the Nets can run um, with KD back. You know, maybe they start playing out of the post more because we we haven't seen them do that a ton. Maybe there's more post splits. That's something that they could take advantage of the, the Suns and try to scramble them that way. Um, so overall, I, uh, I I love this. I, I can't wait. I really do think I'm going to do a video on this game. Um, you know, obviously there was a ton of plays that I was able to break down in this podcast, and I think it'll just look way better and sound way better if there's actually film to go with it. So I'm excited to put that together. Um, other Nets thoughts? Uh, not a ton. Just the schedule, you know, having the the, the Kings... You know, well, I guess yesterday. If you're listening to this tomorrow on Thursday, uh, that's a game that is sustainable or, or attainable for the Nets. Utah, not playing well, lost 11 out of 14, I believe. Uh, no, no Mitchell, no Gobert for a lot of that stretch. Um, that's a game I think they can win. Going to Denver might be trickier, but but you have your two guys, and it's a 3:30 game, so it could be fluky. We don't know. Um, that's another game I think is attainable. That'll be on Sunday. The Celtics at home. This is probably the the toughest game they have. And not because it's like, you know, the Celtics are this crazy tough team, but because we see the team once again, without Kyrie Irving. So that could be, you know, a little tricky, but again, winnable. The Celtics have been strange this year. Harden could be rolling by now. They have some decent spacing. Uh, You're going to lose Kyrie, so you're going to see how much the spacing suffers, but that is something that I think is on the table for them. Then they have Washington, a mess right now, completely a mess. Could see that being winnable. Miami on the road, going to be tough. But again, I think, you know, right now, I feel okay about saying that the Nets are, you know, without KD, they might be in the same tier as the Heat. Maybe that's disrespectful, but I I could see them being in that tier. I could see that being a pretty good game. Then go, then they have Sacramento at home, then New York on the road, which I don't think Kyrie can play in. Uh, then you go back to Washington, then Boston. The Washington and Boston are at home. You know, we'll see. Again, these games without Harden are or without Kyrie are a little bit uh, tougher to project, but still. So that's a nice stretch of games. What is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games that the Nets have a what, a seventy percent chance of coming out with wins? Maybe more than that. That's big. That's a huge stretch for them. That could really, really change things in terms of this team being a near play in team to climbing to the top of the East because it's that congested. Uh then we go to the to Milwaukee on February twenty sixth, which will be an awesome game. And I don't know how that's going to go. Um, the games against the Bucs have been tough this year, um, is a good way to put it. I, I think the Bucs, we'll see what it looks like with the big three there, but man, the Bucs feel built to beat the Nets right now. So that's 10 games. I think this is a big stretch for the Nets. Uh, this, you know, with once KD went down the stretch that we're currently in right now with Phoenix and Golden State it was always going to be tough for the Nets. I thought they showed good signs in both games. And it certainly feels like they're trending upward, even though the wins wouldn't show it. So because of that, because the Nets are starting to show some good things, I guess, um, I could see this being a good stretch for them. But that's it. That's what I got. That's my notes. Um, Fun game. Really, really fun game. One of those games that I'm happy I stayed up to watch, which I don't always say. And uh, just, yeah, it was just a really exciting, interesting game, tactically speaking. Thank you guys for listening. Um, be sure to go ahead and subscribe on your preferred streaming platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know the drill, and uh, leave me a five-star rating. In terms of when I'll be back next, maybe, possibly, with Lucas Kaplan. I think that could be a good option, talking about what I think could be a pretty successful stretch of games. We'll see if that happens. Um, But yeah, stay tuned for that. And again, thank you for listening. Peace.